This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here's what's on the Oakley Show podcast for Tuesday, October 27, 2020. Gone are the white-knuckle early days of the pandemic, replete with adrenaline. Now we're just sort of in joyless limbo, or so says one of our guests. We hear from a business owner with a bricks-and-mortar operation whose hard work and passion also landed him in the eBay Hall of Fame. Strippers in Ontario have banded together to ask a judge to rule that the closure of their clubs is unconstitutional. And the torching of an American flag affixed to a home in Brampton? All of this starts now. Let's talk about fun. Uh, even though we're not having much these days with COVID-19, it seems like uh, this is the pandemic that fun has forgotten. Uh, Rachel Sugar wrote a piece about that. She's a reporter covering food and drink and uh, penned such piece in Vox recently. Uh, what was fun? As we adjust to the new normal, something's missing. Hey, Rachel, good afternoon. Welcome to the Oakley Show. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, uh... <laughs> Okay, it's fun having you on, Rachel. I can't believe, I mean, I was rather desultory. I'm reading your piece and I'm going, geez, you know, uh, I hope you don't go home, draw a warm bath and open a vein here. Let's help you off the precipice. <laughs> how come <laughs> How come? How come? fun has abandoned you, Rachel? Or is this sort of uh, endemic to all of us during a time of COVID? Uh, are we just hitting a real rough patch right now where everything is kind of mundane? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think I'm I'm probably uh, pretty average in in terms of fun. Um, I mean, my life is fine, um, and and that's kind of what interested me about this is that like uh, in a lot of ways, like I'm incredibly lucky, and and things are are fine, and I'm working and housed, and I, so so why 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 did everything feel so flat? Um, and what was it that I was missing? Because, it, you know, you know, in theory, I think a lot of the things that we are, we could in theory do would be fun in, in theory in another time, like, um, and it, and none of it felt fun. And, and I think we are, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people are hitting that as this sort of the adrenaline from the early days of the pandemic wears off and, you sort of settle in and you realize like, oh, this is, this is my life. This is, <laughs> this isn't a, a temporary disruption. This is kind of, this is kind of what it is for the foreseeable future. So the novelty is worn off. So in uh, many ways, fun is about novelty and uh, getting stoked about things. And right now uh, we've lapsed into a torpor of sorts. I, I'm just wondering, yeah. I mean, or is it the early onset of depression? Uh, it may be sort of of a massive scale. I know you uh, actually counseled or at least uh, consulted numerous clinicians to try to determine what fun is really all about and what is fun. I mean, in, in, in effect, you have somebody who's described what fun is. Uh, what did he tell you? Yeah, so there's less... Um at least from, from what I found, there, there's less research on fun as a concept in itself. There, you know, there's a lot about happiness and, and joy and delight. Um, but fun is kind of a weird, uh, it just kind of falls through the cracks a little bit. It's so subjective um, that I think, that, from what people were telling me, it, it sounds like the, the subjectivity is kind of one of the, one of the reasons that it's that it's that it's sort of hard to quantify, um, but 
but I did talk to this one this one researcher, um, this this marketing professor, who has kind of a framework for thinking about it, um, and it, he sort of talks about these like tenants that that fun should hit, um, and I'm I'm just going through them now. I'm just, uh, so so right. So novelty is one of them. Um, well, it releases and, endorphins and makes you feel good, and uh, you want to pursue that. So this is why fun is almost a reward type of thing, uh, built into, I guess, uh, human biology. Yeah, yeah, and I think there there's sort of ways to jolt yourself out of. I mean, I think a lot of the spontaneity is one of them. Um, like the social connections, like these are all things that sort of give you this relief, and and I think that's something that that is missing for for me right now certainly well, what were the things that, that you can you you do enumerate a bunch of things that you considered fun prior to the pandemic and even in the early stages but they don't seem to have that same luster anymore whether it was you know uh baking or uh you know going to a yeah, so so i used to i mean i still do cook a lot um and i'm a food writer and and i but i used to really enjoy coming home from wherever I was from working and, you know, making dinner. And that felt like a real break from that, like differentiated the day. Um, and it sort of doesn't, it doesn't feel that way anymore. Um, it feels like more work, more dishes. Um, I think never leaving the house is really hard. I think I had really used space as a way to kind of break up. Like this is a, I'm having fun now because I'm, I'm not at my desk. Um, mm. I'm, I'm not on the sofa on my laptop and now I'm always on the sofa, uh, because that's, that's where my, my whole life is, my work life, my social life, my, like everything's there. Um, and, and, you Wow, know, I'm getting morose. I'm getting morose just listening to, uh, you know, Rachel. You know, I mean, listen. there's a lot you can do uh, to, to combat that. And, and I think it just, it just like takes sort of a level of commitment to, to doing it that, that I, and I think a lot of other people, um, from what, I, what I've heard, are, are kind of struggling with, like, you know, to close up workshop at, you know, six or seven or, or whenever you do. And uh, and that's the end of the workday. And now you're going to do something else um, and, and to kind of not let everything bleed into everything else. But that's something I was really having a hard time and, and still I'm having a really hard time doing. Right. Even the congratulatory cocktail for, you know, what you might perceive as a, a little accomplishment or uh, having done something especially well that day, that tends to lose its uh, novelty as well. I mean, you just lapse into hopeless alcoholism. That's no fun. So this is where, <laughs> yeah, this is what's happening here. But, you know, I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling the same sensation in a lot of fronts because uh, whereas before we used to pick our spots and then, you know, have that little joyful blip to the upside, we've kind of flattened the curve on fun as well uh everything has now been rendered somewhat mundane or most things have because also uh the parameters have narrowed uh we have fewer options we're limited in certain regards and that's when you say this is the new normal and something is missing so this is all covid related you feel well i mean i'm in the u.s and i think i think it's certainly covid i, I mean i think i think it's definitely covid related i think the political anxiety um is also very high and is not is not fun either <laughs> um yeah. so i think the sense of just like oh my god oh my god oh my god is uh is is also is also related to to the political 
situation here. Yeah, it's the incessant drip, drip, drip of bad news or uh, negative yeah. scenarios. It can wear a body yeah. down, can't it? It really can. Um, it's just <laughs> like the level of, of excitement is kind of hard to keep up. Uh, well, what, what about this interview? I mean, a brief few moments, I grant you, but still, wasn't it fun? Yeah, no, and it's nice <laughs> to talk to somebody that I don't already know. <laughs> All right. Well, well, there you go. I mean, if there's still novelty uh, in this balloon, uh, we can re-examine further down the road. But, uh, Rachel, chin up, stay the course. Uh, we're told we're going to get through Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> so I appreciate, though, uh, you're bringing it into sharp relief for us. Uh, a lot of us were sort of flailing about wondering why we've got the blues or the blahs, and uh, you've kind of put your finger on it. And so uh, a worthwhile read in Vox. What was fun? As we adjust to the new normal, something's missing. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. It was fun. Uh, that's Rachel Sugar. These have been tough times indeed, and many have not survived. On the other hand, there are some who have, through their own creativity, ingenuity, and ambition, uh, managed to adapt. One such is Marco Thorne. Marco Thorne retails hockey equipment. He's the owner of API Hockey in PEI, and uh, he's joined us on the line to explain what it is that he discovered and how he's going about it. Marco, good to have you on the Oakley Show here in Toronto. How you doing? Oh, good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate, appreciate Marco, are it you very in, much. Are you in PEI or are you in Cornwall as we speak? Cornwall, PEI. Oh, that's where, so you're in both. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I hit the daily double. Good. Uh, so, you know, and this is where uh, it really gets interesting because, as I understand it, uh, you know, retailing hockey equipment, uh, a tough sell at the best of times, and now that's we've right. got hockey closed off to so many people. How have you managed to adapt uh, to the changing landscape, let's call it, and uh, you're still in business? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, not so much adapting as good luck, really, if you, if if I could go that way. Um, just because I've been uh, online for a long time, I know the ins and outs of uh, what to advertise and what to have uh, live online. Um, hence, the, the name API Hockey stands for Athletic Professional Innovation for Hockey, which means we always carry the most innovative products. And uh, we advertise it through our website, through eBay, and other sources, sources as well. And uh, because people were starting to order more online, and because we had everything in stock, uh, one thing led to another, and, and that's the only thing that kept us in business from August to, to now, really, when we're just reopening hockey as we speak. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, this API, uh, you're saying athletic professional innovations, uh, <laughs> yeah. it started out as ankle protective inserts, didn't That's it? Right. I know because yeah. <laughs> I needed some myself when the, the tongues on my uh, graphs went poof. <laughs> right. I, I hear you. Uh, yeah. Um, I got into the business as a manufacturer supplier many, many moons ago, and it, it, exactly what it was. API Hockey stood for API uh, Ankle Protective Inserts for hockey skates and uh you know it did did well for what the product was uh we did um you know we had some nhl teams and nhl players like uh oh peter forsberg ryan smith guys like that using them consistently and um you know we were supplying to major chains but you know one thing led to another um I got in contact with uh, several other manufacturer suppliers, and uh, before you knew it, my basement was full of hockey gear. So the next step was, hey, let's open up a brick-and-mortar store. And that went uh, from there. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Just to back up a little bit with the ankle uh, protective inserts, uh, these are the the kind of uh, what are they foamy? Uh, kind? Yeah, they they uh, what it was is at semi memory foam, and we tested a lot of foam. I say we, but it's really me. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's surrounded by 100% breathable cotton and two mesh tip gel like uh, surfaces on either face side. What that did was it added to her comfort and it assured that the uh, inserts would stay in the skate until uh, the, the player would take them out. Yeah, boy, I hate that because that was lace bite. You know, when you tie your laces mm-hmm. across the top eyelets, uh, ultimately dig through the tongue and very uncomfortable when you're skating. So that was you. That was your brainchild. Yeah. And here we are. You've expanded You've expanded the whole uh, retinue of things that you're uh, retailing. Online, though, that's the interesting thing. So you got into bricks and mortar. Bricks and mortar is taking a uh, pounding these days. Yeah. But you're managing to survive uh, even to the point where you've been recognized for your online entrepreneurship. How so? With eBay, the Hall of Fame, I, it was a pleasant surprise. I got a phone call from them, and, uh, you know, it was just a preliminary thing where they were asking several um, small business owners for, um, you know, I- important questions. And then the next thing happened where I actually got a conference. I was on a conference call with the GM of eBay Canada, and he said, you know, we're going to put you on the Hall of Fame. I said, well, uh, aren't those for, you know, people that have, you know, succeeded in a way economically that now they could retire and they're, they're, they're millionaires? And she said, no, no, it has to do with people like you, uh, the normal person that, uh, you know, just goes out and, and, and does the job and represents his business and, and uh, in a good way. And I said, oh, super. I've been with you guys for about 20 years or 21 years, and, uh, and so far so good. So... Uh, I would, like I said, I was pleasantly surprised. It, it was something that uh, definitely is an honor for me. And um, <laughs> notoriety, though, is funny. I'm going to work, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm working at the Cornwall Plaza here. So in the mornings, I got to pass by from the parking lot. I got to pass by the hairdressers, the liquor commission, uh, the, the restaurant, and, and people are coming out. Congratulations! Can I have an autograph? Like jokingly, but I'm thinking, oh my God, no! This is not what I'm doing this for. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the recognition is also, as you say, as a small entrepreneur, uh, you learned how to adapt and you used online retailing to your advantage to the point where you were up and running when COVID hit. You yeah. already knew the ins and outs. So, yeah, I mean, in the summertime, I was uh, so busy. I, I was closed. But uh, because, um, you know, I was the only one working here, I could travel straight from home to here when everything was closed down. And, um, you know, there's some days... Uh, and I'm not kidding. Some days I had like 24, 25 orders to, to process, and all of those take time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is a one-time flash in the pan kind of thing. And then the next day, 15, the next day, 20. Uh, and it was all, um, most of them were uh, hockey schools reopening in the States. They were, were reopening everything early. But their stores were closed. Their nearby stores were closed. So, you know, API Hockey, uh, stand, uh, the website alone, APIHockey.com, plus uh, API Hockey on eBay, um, it just grew. It just, uh, orders just kept coming in. And uh, it, in a way, I was ready for it. You know, I, I like fighting the good fight. In a way, I wasn't. I was totally surprised. But, you know, we were able to um, 
to meet all those orders and, and ship them out within 24 hours. And well, I, say yeah. we, I say we, but I say, I mean, I. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you're a one-man operation for That's the most right. part. Yeah. And so uh, you're doing all of these things, processing the orders. It, as you say, takes time. Uh, yeah. Get them all packaged up and good to go, because that's what e-retailing is all about, or online retailing. Again, right. Marco Thorne is with us. Again, API Hockey and PEI is where he's located. Uh, he has this figured out because he had a head start. He had a running head start of about 15 years uh, doing this on eBay. So for people who are just adapting now or they're trying to get up to speed because they're realizing uh, that might be their only outlet to really, uh, you know, continue to to be viable, Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think are the important things maybe you learn through trial and error that uh, you cut to the chase and they can actually uh, graduate, you know, in a matter of short time? What would you suggest they do? Well, I, this is valuable advice. So whoever's listening and that's, wants to open up a business, even just start off new, um, I, I just tell you, take your pen and, pap- uh, and paper out because this is very important. One thing, uh, to open up a store online or open up a store brick and mortar or both, one thing you have to have is passion about what you're doing. And, and to if you have it in your head, it's going to be easy. Get it out of your head right away. It's it's a hard go. It's tough. It's it's called fighting the good fight, and it's not just like one thing or another uh, sparingly. It's every day you have to you know represent yourself, represent your business in the best case possible, best way possible. Um, if you want to start online, if you think it's too late, it's never too late to start online. Uh, at the very least, it gives you an identity that people could look up. And with the technological world that we have right now, people do that anyways. You know, if somebody mentions, well, API Hockey, the first thing you do is reach for their phones and look for it on Google or, or the local listings, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's very, very important, and I can't emphasize that enough, that first you find a passion. That's something that you love or would love doing, and you know that regardless of the challenges, you'll be doing it every day. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's more or less of opening a business. For online, I would suggest don't take any shortcuts. There's so many fly-by-nights companies that, that do this where they try to cheat the search engines. They try to get a website up that's not very... Google-friendly, per se, or they try to cheat uh, the search engine rules, and that only penalizes you in the long run. What you have to do is, when you have a person make your website, let's say, try to get information from that person, a technician, and try to get as much as you can, learn as much as you can, because that will make you more independent in the long run, and you won't have to call a technician for like $100, you know, every couple hours or whatever for the simplest things that you can fix yourself. And that's what I've learned, too. So there's, there's many other things, but again, I can't emphasize enough, find your passion first, because it's hard work. Yeah, that's going to sustain you through the dark days, and uh, when you may have your doubts, uh, it's still going to propel you forward. Marco, good to talk to you on this one. Congratulations. Uh, Even induction into the eBay Hall of Fame. They like the story. We like your story, too, how you uh, did follow your passion. Retailing hockey equipment uh, online as well as bricks and mortar in Cornwall, PEI. 
not just a, an entrepreneur, but also an IT guy, from what I understand. Well, there you not, go. Not, not really, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I get along. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You forced into it. Uh, yeah, it was just a matter of necessity. Exactly. Good to talk to you. Congratulations, and uh, really much. appreciate the uplifting story. All the best going forward. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. Marco Thorne again owner of API Hockey in PEI. A month ago, back in September 26th, where uh, strip clubs were uh, closed due to the pandemic in an arbitrary way. I mean, at the time, uh, in-restaurant dining still had not met the full force of the government decree, but that came shortly thereafter in the modified stage two, as we know. And so strippers, uh, these adult entertainers, uh, sex workers have uh, taken up an advocacy group to represent them before a judge, asking to declare, having uh, the judge declare that the province's closure of all strip clubs is unconstitutional. Curious argument. Let's find out if that would make muster. Uh, our constitutional expert is John Carpe, president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. John, good to have you back in the show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Glad to be with you and your listeners. So uh, when this group representing on the dancers uh, talks about their application uh, confronting an unlawful, arbitrary, and biased nature to target strip clubs, and in particular strippers, do you believe they're on solid footing here? Well, they're on the right track in the sense of challenging the government to justify the restrictions uh, because under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the governments, and that would be federal, provincial, municipal, governments can violate our freedom of association, which is an example here. If you say, well, you can't, you can't run a business or you, you can't have friends over to your house, these are all restrictions on freedom of association. So it's good to put the government to the test and force them to prove it. Now, I don't know if the strip clubs have been you know, targeted or singled out unfairly. But I think it's a good thing that they're pushing back and saying, look, uh, government has to show that the, you know, open strip clubs w without the, you know, restrictions, uh, that, that that is somehow a real public health concern, that that's causing deaths. And I think the government would have probably a very hard time when you look at the, you go to the Ontario government website and you look at the data and the deaths are just way down. I mean, they, they've been down since May. And even though we have a lot of, you know, so-called cases, we actually have very small numbers of, of people now that are dying of COVID-19. And so uh, the strippers also say in the arbitrariness of the government's impositions, uh, there might have been other reasonable options available to the government that weren't considered. Uh, is that something that would as well uh, maybe buttress, uh, fortify their, their legal argument? They do have a legal argument. If they can prove that the government is uh, treating strip clubs differently from bars, and if it's based on a false stereotype, and the stereotype that, that gets referenced is the idea that strippers spread disease, okay? And if that is uh, not true, I would assume that that would be not true. But you know, but anyway, in the court case, um, if, uh, if the government did target strip clubs based on a false assumption that these places are actually uh, dangerous compared to other restaurants which were allowed to open, well, then the government's going to lose because you cannot base public policy on uh, false stereotypes.
Well, the strip clubs, to my mind, as I recall, were closed immediately, and uh, shortly thereafter, the in-restaurant dining uh, was considered off-limits, but that was a few days later, so it became, if I've got it right, but they were closed right across the board, right across the province, as a matter of fact, rather than just the hot zones, which shows they broadened the context the government did when it came to all of these people being penalized in the same way. They also said they had a legitimate expectation of consultation, uh, but they weren't consulted. Again, is that something that would weigh legally? A consultation, I don't think anybody was consulted much in uh, back in March when these lockdown measures were imposed. I think the government acted quickly and decisively based on the fear-mongering that was then taking place with the false predictions that COVID was an unusually deadly killer that was going to kill millions of people. Uh, now, seven months later, uh, when you actually look at the government's data, you see that the uh, the COVID deaths are far closer to uh, an annual flu than they are to a real pandemic like the ones we had in 1918 and 1957 and 1968. So in terms of the deaths, uh, this is not an unusually deadly killer. I don't think the government could really have consulted anybody too much back in March because there's a lot of fear uh, based on predictions that have now been proven false, but there was a lot of fear at that time. Uh, so I don't think restaurants and gyms and, and churches, I don't think anybody was consulted. And I think legally uh, that it matters with Aboriginal issues, like a government has to consult with Aboriginals when they're looking at resource development. Uh, but otherwise, the, the duty to consult is not crucial. The crucial question is, is the violation of the Charter Rights and Freedoms justified? Well, and this is where we're getting into uh, some other tricky territory. We were talking just before you joined us, uh, Prime Minister intimating that, well, you know, uh, we lost Thanksgiving for the most part, might even have to see certain restrictions put on Christmas gatherings. And B.C. today announced that uh, they're restricting private gatherings after a sobering weekend, private gatherings in a home. Can they do that? Well, it's a violation of charter freedoms, and I hope that, uh, frankly, I hope the people in B.C. will just ignore it to meet with whom they want. And the reason is that the deaths in B.C., uh, like everywhere else in Canada, we had a peak in COVID deaths in April and May. And every single province, the government data shows the same thing. The number of deaths went way down in June. It went down further in July. It went down even further in August. It went down even further in September. And now it's up a little bit in October. But what the media, unfortunately, are not reporting and what the politicians are not pointing to is the fact that in Canada every year, we have 300,000 people that die in Canada every year. That's 25,000 people per month. In Ontario alone, we have 9,500 people dying every month. And so, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the media are hyping these uh, COVID case numbers, but the COVID deaths are a drop in the bucket when you just consider the fact that that every month in Ontario, there's 9,500 people that die. And this is something that people need to uh, to realize. I just wonder if that's sort of a, a parallel kind of statistic because uh, we've added on now the additional COVID deaths. Maybe the numbers have been mitigated because of best practices. I'm not sure how we could quantify that or uh, maybe prove that empirically. Still in all, you're saying that there are constitutional issues here that are being breached or they're being uh, flagrantly disregarded 
in terms of government protocols and impositions, and uh, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's what I, I wanted to ask you about when it comes to these strip clubs, because they've got the judge now considering that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what that ruling is and if they take it further up if they're not actually uh, satisfied with the outcome. But, John, I appreciate you putting this into uh, a context for us from uh, the view of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Always appreciate your time on The Oakley Show. Thank you. Have a great day. And you, John Carpe, president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I just find this outrageous, but uh, an American living in Brampton, having a Canadian and American flag hanging outside his home the other night, somebody set fire to the American flag. Fortunately, nothing else was torched, but still doesn't speak well for the neighborhood or whoever was behind that particular uh, egregious act. Chris Jackson is said homeowner. He's joined the Oakley Show at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Chris, how you doing these days? Uh, well, I've been better. Yeah, listen, uh, tell us what happened here. First of all, uh, you're an American living here, or are you a dual citizen, a Canadian citizen? How's that work? Yes, so I'm an American citizen um, with permanent residency here in Canada. I'm living here in Mississauga. Uh-huh. Um, and I've been here for four years. Um, and then, you know, I, as you mentioned, I have both an American and Canadian flags hanging outside my garage. Um I walked out this morning to take my older two kids to school and noticed that the American flag was gone, um, and in its place were the charred remains of that flag. Wow. Any idea who might have done this? I mean, uh, if I understand correctly, you're also involved in uh, running the Neighborhood Watch program in your neighborhood. Yes. um, I run the Neighborhood Watch program here in the Fania Drive area. Um, Unfortunately, I don't know who did it. Uh, there's been a lot of vehicle crime uh, in the area recently, a lot of things stolen out of unlocked cars. Um, and I, over the course of the day, I've gotten a lot of reports. At least half a dozen of our neighbors had their vehicles broken into last night. Uh, some of them have videos that indicate it's the same guy. Um, and I guess while he was over here, he noticed the American flag and started to torch it. Yeah, but that would draw attention to things, so uh, this may have a different impetus. I mean, the other stuff sounds like it's part of a general crime wave. I, I mean, I don't want to interpret what happened, but uh, mm. the Canadian flag was still intact? Yes, the Canadian flag was completely untouched. Um, I have it all on video. You can see he just walks up. He does check the car doors real quick on his way up um, to see if they're unlocked, but it looks as if he his intention was the beeline on that American flag. Um, and he came straight up. He spends almost two minutes lighting it and making sure that it's burning before he leaves. And what time of night would this have been? This happened at one fifty-eight this morning. Oh, in the morning, in the wee hours. Yes. Uh, have you had any prior indication that, uh, you know, people might have had animus towards you as an American? Um, well, I can tell you that you know, for a while, the American flag was ending up on the ground almost on a weekly basis. Um, and then when I put up a camera on my driveway, that stopped for about a year, year and a half. And then this happened. Anybody expressed to you openly uh, they didn't like Americans or uh, certain aspects of uh, Americana uh, ever been expressed to you? Um, not explicitly. There's been a lot of... Um, Animosity expressed me towards President Trump, um, but nothing generally towards Americans. Um, as far as an 
uh, hateful way. It's usually just among friends and acquaintances. Has there been any overt indication of uh, your political leanings? I'm sorry? Well, have there been any, uh, you know, telltale signs of your political leanings? I mean, uh, if you've said people have expressed to you, you know, animus towards Trump, uh, they don't know necessarily who uh, you might vote for unless you've expressed that or you've displayed that or anything like that. So uh, are they making an oh, assumption here? Or, I mean, they are, are, Yes, they are uh, making assumptions that I am uh, liberal and would hate Trump um, as Apparently, everybody that they speak with hates Trump. So just being an American in that neighborhood uh, seems like it's enough to draw the, whatever it is, the ill will of somebody who would uh, vandalize your, your flag, leave the Canadian right. one intact. What does what it take away? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, Chris, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, a random act or have you soured on the neighborhood, uh, certain people, Canadians in general? What's your thought? Well, I definitely don't think it was one of the fellow residents of the neighborhood, um, at least not immediately so. Um, I've had a lot of a lot of appreciation from my neighbors for launching the Neighborhood Watch program and helping to try to stop the crime wave uh, that's been coming through. Um, so I don't think it's an immediate, an immediate neighbor, um, but it does definitely make me sad. Um, and frustrated that somebody would stoop to this level, um, especially if it is a random act uh, towards Americans. Have the police been called, and uh, have they given you any indication? I mean, you say have videotape, I guess. It uh, was the mm -hmm. security footage. Uh, anything solid to go on on that front? Um, you can't get a good view of his face, unfortunately, but yes, the police have been called. They are working on it. Um, I got word this afternoon that they are officially classifying this as a hate crime. Um, and they are pouring the resources into trying to figure out uh, who the perpetrator is. Certainly ups the ante. Uh, and I hope they've got, like, you know, one of these Crime Stopper programs as well up there in uh, in Brampton. It might help uh, to catch yes. the offender in this case. Uh, Chris, wish you the best of luck. I'm really uh, apologetic for anybody that would do this because just uh, their enmity towards Americans makes no sense to me. Uh, although we live in these toxic times, as you know. Appreciate you coming on and telling us a story. We'd like to follow up and find out if they actually resolve this to your satisfaction, to everybody's satisfaction, actually. Uh, that would be the righteous thing to do. Appreciate sure. your time. In the, in the meantime, all the best to you going forward. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep, you got it for sure. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, hate to hear that, but... That happened to him up in Brampton. That's a wrap for the Oakley Show podcast for Tuesday, October 27, 2020. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 Eastern. Turn the dial to 640. Listen live at 640toronto.com or search the name John Oakley on Spotify. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.